Hi, I'm Malcolm Hawker, and this is the CDO Matters Podcast, the show where I dig deep into the strategic insights, best practices, and practical recommendations that modern data leaders need to help their organizations become truly data-driven. Tune in for thought-provoking discussions with data, IT, and business leaders to learn about the CDO matters that are top of mind for today's chief data officers. Hello, everybody. It's Malcolm. Thanks so much for catching this episode of Data Fabrics Demystified. I'm excited that you're here. Thank you for listening to the CDO Matters podcast and for checking out this episode and all of our other episodes. This is a bit of a short video intro. This is not the main meat of what you're, you're going to see today. You'll, you'll hear me talking a lot about the data fabric, but I, but I felt compelled to record a short kind of disclaimer at the beginning of this. I recorded this session about the data fabric in early March 2023. It's now late April 2023, and what a world of a difference two months makes. I, I can't believe how quickly Things are moving in the space of AI, yes, largely thanks to ChatGPT, but certainly others, Bard, Dolly for images, and, and, and you name it, it's mind-bending. And if you're paying any attention to what's happening online or in social media or in the media writ large, AI is taking the world by storm. What you are going to hear me share in this discussion about the data fabric is something I call an intelligence engine or an intelligence layer. It's a critical component of a data fabric. It is this brain that I tell you doesn't exist yet. And at the time I was largely correct. <laughs> but I'm gonna talk about this intelligence layer that is a critical capability and enabler of the data fabric. And what I will say is that it's several years away from actually being developed and productized and made ready for prime time. Well, in the span of two months, I think I've been proven wrong. I think that this intelligence engine that I'm going to talk about in the in kind of the main section of the podcast today, this intelligent engine is AI and it's out there and it's these learning language models in the form of ChatGPT, Bard, uh, Bing AI, others that are completely, quickly, rapidly in a pace I just can't even get my head around, really kind of revolutionizing the way we interact with AI and how we think about AI. So I've gone in literally in the space of two months from being kind of a data fabric skeptic to a massive data fabric believer. And let me tell you why. I talk about this need for an intelligence engine and I talk about the amount of data that it re requires and the compute power that it requires and how it's going to be so hard for companies to develop this stuff on their own. But they don't have to develop it on their own. It's been developed. I honestly and truly now firmly believe that the data fabric is exactly how AI will be operationalized at scale to support data management use cases and operational use cases of data. Meaning not only will we be using AI to answer questions like what's the best data quality rule or what are the best data governance policies to implement or what are the best integration patterns or should this data be centralized or decentralized, not only Will AI be answering those questions? But it'll also be answering questions of you know, what customer record should I be looking at right now? What's the best way to process this invoice? Uh, what credit rating should I be applying to this potential supplier, consumer, and on and on and on. 
So I now firmly, firmly and truly and honestly believe that the, the concept of a data fabric will be how we operationalize AI within the world of data and analytics. So guys, it's unbelievable. In the space literally of two months, I know it's a little longer. ChatGPT3 was kind of limited release in November and it's kind of been dribbling out. But, but in the space of two months, I think, for at least for me in my journey here, we've gone from this is a fun conceptual thought experiment to, oh, wow, I get it. All you need to think about here. Yes, AI is, is still a long way from prime time. Yes, we're talking about V1 pro, uh, you know, versions of these products. Yes, ChatGPT 3 and 4 both hallucinate. <laughs> there are problems, right? Um, but what you need to be thinking about here, and, and this, is, this is really all you need to think about, I think, in my opinion. If the entire internet can be used as a training data set for things like ChatGPT3 and 4 and future versions of it, obviously, and the computing power exists to date to, to crunch all this data, the systems exist today, a lot of the, the knowledge largely exists, the AI exists, these models exist. If we can use the entire internet as a training, train a dating set, training data set, it's late in the day. Yeah, I still have this much passion late in the day. Uh, we then can certainly use our internal metadata. We can use all of our log data. We can use all of our internal data as a training set to help AI inform and maybe even automate decisions about how we manage data. It's that simple. If we can do this on the internet and we can answer questions about, hey, write me a poem, or what's the best way to do A, or what's the best way to do B, and we can use the internet as a training data set, we can certainly use our own internal data for this as well. So there's a little bit of work here, obviously, to kind of commercialize this and find ways to apply these models that are now kind of internet-based and into more proprietary solutions. But trust me, uh, every vendor on this, every vendor in the data management space is working on it. I spent most of my day in a meeting today trying to figure out how to operationalize these insights because this is transformational, guys. This is game-changing. And I now, again, I firmly believe the data fabric is how AI will be operationalized at scale within most data and analytics organizations. And what you hear me say in this podcast is, yeah, I'm a little skeptical and we're probably five years away. It's out the window. I think, I think we're probably two to three years away from prime time on this. And that's about as long as it's going to take most of the vendors to develop some solutions in this space. But honestly, <laughs> what I've seen playing around with auto GPT and a few other things like this, um, what used the code that used to take three years to write is now going to take three weeks to write thanks to AI. So man, stuff's moving so fast. I'm totally stoked about the data fabric. There's still a ton of value to glean from the podcast you're about to listen to. But like I said, just keep in mind, things are moving very, very quickly here. And I think the world has gone completely upside down in the last couple of months. And you're going to hear exactly why in this podcast. But keep in mind, uh, I, I think that this is revolutionary. Things are moving really, really quickly here. And you need to know what to do in order to prepare for a data fabric enabled future. Thanks, everybody. Good morning, afternoon or evening or whatever time it is, wherever you are. <laughs> I'm Malcolm Hawker. I'm your host of the CDO Matters podcast. I'm thrilled that you're joining me here today. I think this is our 22nd episode, if, if I'm not mistaken, if we haven't slid something else in there, around 22, I, I believe. 
Uh, I'm recording this uh, in early March. I suspect by the time you see this, it'll be uh, April. Uh, if so, ha happy belated St. Patrick's Day. Uh, I recently became an Irish citizen, believe it or not, which is kind of fun. Uh, my mother is Irish, my grandfather is Irish, and uh, I decided to uh, just kind of make it legit recently. So uh, it's not St. Patty's Day yet on day of recording, but I'm looking forward to that on the 17th, and hopefully uh, you were able to have some Irish fun as well. Today, we are going to talk about the data fabric. Not the data mesh, but the data fabric. And the whole topic of today is kind of demystifying the data fabric. So as I record this in early March, in another couple of weeks, I will be headed, like many other data and analytics leaders, uh, I'll be headed to the Gartner Data and Analytics Summit. Uh, it's an annual event, uh, although the last time they held it, thanks to COVID, was actually last August. So it was only seven months ago, but it's an annual event uh, that is very common for a lot of senior data and analytics leaders to attend. If you don't go or haven't gone, I would most certainly recommend it. As a matter of fact, if there was really only one event that I would attend a year, oh, be, I would recommend Gartner. It's pretty good. They do a really, really good job of putting on kind of large scale events. They've got a large array of speakers. Yes, they're primarily Gartner analysts. Uh, but for VPs of data and analytics, for CDOs, most certainly, uh, other kind of senior data leaders, even CIOs, there's a lot of information there. Uh, there's a lot of things that you can learn. It's a broad spectrum of topics, right? It, it's the data and analytics summit. So they're gonna go into things around data quality, MDM, data integration, data virtualization, data fabrics. We'll talk about that some more today, uh, but you're gonna get a wide spectrum of insights across a number of different kind of data management disciplines, data and analytics, just analytics. Uh, yes, AI, ML, data science, those things are all covered. So it's really suitable for, for somebody who's, who has a pretty big span of, of influence um, and, and a pretty large portfolio, aka a CDO or CIO or a VP of data and analytics. I certainly recommend that you go. Um, but why am I talking about the data fabric today and why am I going to demystify it? Well, chances are, if you're going to that event, you're going to get a lot of information about the data fabric. It is right at the top of the hype, not at the top, getting close to the top of the, the Gartner uh, hype cycle. It's gaining a lot of speed out in the market. And I know by the time this podcast airs in April of 2023, maybe even May, probably April of 2023, that the fever around the data fabric will be high because all of the VPs and CDOs will be leaving Gartner and will be all data fabriced up. <laughs> and excited because um, this is kind of how it works. I was a Gartner analyst for, for three years and I, I kind of know the cycle here um, where it's, you know, people go to these events, they get all worked up about, you know, these cool things and Data Fabric will be hyped at the event. Uh, Gartner is, is good at a lot of things. They are really good at hyping their own things and Data Fabric, it's one of their own things and they hype it uh, and it will be hyped. Um, so, having kind of been through this wash, rinse and repeat cycle and having having kind of participated in this, I, I know that people will come out probably where the data fabric is concerned. They'll, they'll come out saying, man, sounds pretty cool. Um, sounds revolutionary. Uh, sounds like a pretty valid, shiny object here. But honestly, I'm not entirely sure I get it all. I got a lot of questions. 
some of the information that was expressed was really conceptual and really theoretical and really high level. And I'm having a hard time taking it from 80,000 feet down to 20,000 feet. We don't need to go to 5,000 feet. We don't need to do that. Your, your team will help with that. But going from 80 down to maybe 20 or 30 uh, is what this podcast is all about. Because I know from firsthand experience, having been involved in creating the data fabric narrative, I was kind of there at ground zero. I wasn't the person leading it. That would be one of my friends and learned colleagues, Mark Beyer, uh, Ancus Jane, and a few others, uh, uh, Guido Di Simone, a couple others at Gartner, really kind of driving that narrative. But I was involved in a peer review of a lot of the research. I was involved in a lot of the peer review of the everything that went into the kind of the early, the, the zygote stage. <laughs> as it were, of the data fabric. So I, I think I'm fairly uniquely positioned to provide some valuable insight here and to help you make the jump from 80,000 feet down to 20,000 feet, because um, as good as Gartner is at a few things, that's one area where they're not so good, particularly in this topic area. They're not so good at really kind of making things real and, and making things more kind of pedestrian. And I mean that in a good way, not, 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 in, not in a bad way, meaning things digestible or maybe even better yet, operationalable, operationalizable, um, implementable, <laughs> making a data fabric kind of implementable. And, and there's a lot of there's a lot of cautions here, guys. So that's what we're going to talk about. I didn't bring on a guest because I think I think th this is an area where I know I'm qualified and I know that I can add a ton of value. And uh, I thought it probably best if I just kind of do my own thing here. I'm going to share some slides. Before I dive into that, I, I also realized that um, a lot of you will be listening to this in uh, audio only. I mean, it is a podcast after all. Uh, so my apologies if if I'm talking to slides and you can't see them and you're maybe listening in your car as you're driving to work or something else. Uh, I'll do my best at making sure that those slides are available maybe through LinkedIn um, or, or through our website or, or others other venues uh, as well. And I'll certainly be talking to them as well. So if you are watching on video on YouTube or any of the other kind of video channels that we, we distribute this content through and, and you, you see me kind of reading <laughs> slides, you'd be like, dude, I can read. It, it's because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get this out across all channels and uh, particularly our, our audio channels. I'm going to bring up on the screen now a definition of data fabric. Now, this is my definition, me. Uh, and, and it's a little different, I think, that if you were to read Gartner's definition, which is really nebulous and kind of hard to pin down, kind of like it's a balloon half filled with water, it, 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 it's kind of squishy. Uh, and, and that's by design, by the way, from a Gartner perspective. Uh, but my definition is a, is, is a little more, I think, digestible. Uh, and, and it's this. A data fabric is a conceptual, and yes, I'm saying that today, maybe it will jump from concept to actual, you know, not just concept, but it's a conceptual data management architecture in which data itself informs the classification, management, and use of data within an organization. So let's let's break this down a little bit. There's really kind of three key chunks here to, to, to digest, and we'll, we'll go into more definite, we'll go into more, more detail, but... It's a data management architecture, right? It, it, it is a way of managing data. Well, what does that mean? It is a way of governing data. It is a way of modeling data. It is a way of controlling and managing data. It's a way of integrating data. It's a way of ensuring that data quality standards are applied to your enterprise-wide data and on and on. It's a management architecture, right? Uh, so is the data mesh, by the way, but a data fabric is different than a data mesh. Um, I would call it conceptual 
because that's what it is today. Uh, you will probably come away from the Gartner event last year when it was August. Gartner was talking about a 7% penetration of data fabrics. I suspect that'll probably go to 10. Frankly, guys, I'm still not buying it. I think Gartner is way ahead of their skis on the number of companies that have truly actually implemented a data fabric. Uh, I think we're probably talking about like a single hand, like that have probably done it. And the ones that have done it have done it in a very, very manual, non-automated way. And arguably what's been implemented is not really the full expression of a data fabric. We'll talk about that some more. But suffice it to say, this is a data management architecture like the data mesh. Um, it's, so it's a way of managing data uh, across an entire enterprise. Um, another key thing here, and this is really where we get to the nuts and bolts of the matter. It's an architecture where data itself informs its classification, management, and use. What that means, this, this, is, this is kind of foundational here, because historically, we, us, humans, people, informed the classification, management, and use of data. We built the rules. We said that this is a data model. This is a data definition, and on and on and on. We, we did that. Now, in the future, I'm saying data is going to do it. Really, it's the AI, the ML. Oh, I, yes, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of stopping myself as I even say that, but, but that's what it will be. There will be some sort of highly sophisticated AI and ML-fueled logic that will start to make decisions and about how data is classified, how it's managed, and how it is even used, where it is the data itself primarily metadata, talk more about that, but where data is informing how it should be used, right? Uh, that is really, really foundational. So we're making a pivot away from people defining the rules, the integration patterns, the data quality standards. We're moving away from people deciding that to the robots deciding that. That's a spectrum. Right, where we are today, largely people-driven. Yes, there are some AI and ML that are helping with things like data stewardship rules and, and, and building data models and automatic data profiling and discovery. So we're, we're early in the days uh, on, on this spectrum from entirely people-driven to entirely robot-driven. We're early in those days, but where data fabric goes, the ultimate path here is towards a highly, highly, highly dependent, a world highly dependent on the robots. And by robots, that's my glib way of saying AI, ML, graph, other advanced technologies that can help automate uh, large scale analysis and management of data. Because it will need to be the machines doing this because humans won't be able to do it at the scales that we're talking about. They just won't. So that's key. Data starts to inform its own classification management and use. And we move away from people and move towards more automated ways of doing that. So that's uh, kind of key thing number two. Uh, and, and number three, kind of it's, it's enterprise-wide. It's across an organization. I suppose you could say in terms of enterprise-wide versus not enterprise-wide, I, I think you could probably make a case that a data fabric could be implemented on a department level or an application level. I, I just don't think you're going to get a ton of value out of that, honestly, guys. I mean, I mean, this is really about scale and automation. 
And there's a bit of a paradox within data fabrics in that the more data you throw at this thing, the more data you feed it, the more data that can be used to train analysis and train the graphs and train what, we'll what we will call a knowledge layer or a semantic layer or an intelligence layer, the more data you're throwing at this thing, the more intelligent it's going to be and the better, in theory, knock, knock, in theory, the better decisions it's going to make. So this is, I really see this being an enterprise-wide paradigm, especially for very, very big companies. Um, I, I think, again, you're just going to get, if you're if you're a relatively small company, uh, or if you're looking at this within an individual silo or application or department or division, it's probably not going to work just, just because fabrics are all about scale. So that's a definition. I'm going to have some coffee. It's still coffee time here. And if I didn't, I, my throat would certainly, most certainly dry out. So please be patient with me as I chug on my ground up beans. All right, that's the definition. Let's talk about some key capabilities of the data fabrics. And a lot of these I've already kind of touched on. However, I, I think there's really kind of th three things that are, that are like required. <laughs> Gartner would call these critical capabilities. Um, I call them key capabilities, doesn't matter. These are the three things you kind of got to have. And if you don't have them, you're probably not a data fabric. Number one, what Gartner calls active metadata. Now, this is different from metadata <laughs> and because it's it's active. Um, what does that mean? Well, along in this spectrum that I was talking about before, where you go from kind of static management, you go from human-defined business rules, there's also a spectrum here in, in what Gartner has kind of largely determined and called data activation. Today, metadata is largely not active. It is it is static. It is just captured. It's a, it's a snapshot in time, right? Where we go and we gather all of this data about data, all the fields, attributes, you name it, transactional data. This 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 is all data here, folks. There's there's really kind of no not a lot of dividing line between what couldn't be and should and shouldn't be considered metadata. I mean, it's it's everything. It's web logs, it's transaction data, it's 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 everything, right? And today. All that data is kind of largely being captured, dumped into data warehouses and other kind of data stores. And it is this snapshot in time and it represents something as of that, that, that point in time. And it's not being really kind of used to drive a lot of business decisions. It may be used for analytics. It may be used for insight. It may be used in AI and ML and, and, and for some data science. But for the most part, that, that data is not interactive, maybe for lack of a better word. What, what active metadata really, really, really means is that if you had a lot of metadata and you had some pretty sophisticated analytical tools and you had some pretty sophisticated new technologies, you could make that data tell you a lot of things about the state of your data enterprise. For example, in theory, you could know when data was accurate or inaccurate. So think about that, right? Could you scan data and look at data and look at transactions logs and look at all sorts of other metadata, metadata to determine when data is active or inactive? Or not inactive or inactive, sorry. When it's correct or incorrect, high quality or low quality, right? So let's use, let's use data quality as, as, as a metaphor here because I, I, I think it's appropriate. Um, in theory, you could look at logs 
in, let's just say an ERP system or a CRM system, and you would be able to say, okay, well, this is the data associated with this transaction. This transaction, and I, you followed that transaction all the way through. You followed it all the way through quote to cash, all the way to RevRec, all the way to de the delivery of goods, potentially. Maybe this was a transaction for somebody buying something where you delivered goods and even maybe even after delivery of the good, there was some customer service feedback and on and on and on. In theory, you could determine whether the address on that customer record was accurate, or you could determine whether or not other attributes, let's say of the customer record, because we love customer records here, um, were, were, were fit for a purpose or not fit for a purpose. Did the transaction fail? Were there problems along the way? Were there, was there a pause somewhere in the life cycle of kind of that, 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 that customer transaction all the way from a quote, all the way to RevRec and delivery and on and on. Were there pauses there? Were there other indicators that could tell you that there was something wrong with the data? The data fabric would say, yes, most certainly, there are going to be plenty of indicators that are going to tell you when data was fit for purpose or when it wasn't fit for purpose. There are glaringly obvious examples of this where a transaction would fail or it would be kicked out of some sort of process or maybe where there was even a human review where that, that, that process just kind of failed or stalled or stopped. But in theory, with the data fabric, where we're going is a world where data can tell you when things are accurate or inaccurate. Data could even inform things like the optimal integration patterns. Data could tell you when something should be considered master data or not master data. That one I would argue is actually relatively knock-knock easy. I'm oversimplifying, but it's relatively easy because you could look across your metadata and you could determine where data is being act widely shared across the organization. Another great example, right? Kind of this pivot towards more active metadata, which is you could look in the data, you could look at transactions, you could look at reports, analytics, and you could pretty quickly under, understand where data is being shared or not shared. And that's really kind of the key de determining factor of when something should at least be considered as master data or not master data. The list of examples here, guys, is long, but the whole idea is that me metadata will be activated. How will it be activated? That's number two on this list. The use of AI, ML, graph, other advanced technologies to enable the automation required to analyze massive troves of metadata, okay? So to activate the metadata, which is kind of key critical capability number one, active metadata critical capability number two, these use of these modern and new technologies to analyze large troves of data to start to recognize patterns, right? This is something you're hearing in this idea of data observability. I'm not a huge fan of data observability because I don't think it's new. I think we've always done this, but the whole, the, the ideas here are consistent, right? Which is you, you could observe the data and you could see what's working, what's not working, what's accurate, when, what's inaccurate. When are things inefficient or less efficient than they could be and, and on and on and on. So these technologies will be applied to understand, to activate metadata, to drive the insights that we were previously talking about, to, to help inform you of maybe a different way of even modeling data or a different way of defining data, right? Maybe there are attributes that are relevant to a given object that you're not, that you as the human in that human driven process really aren't adequately considering. For example, a customer record. Today, maybe the human says, well, this is how we define a customer. And these are all the attributes that define a customer. Maybe when you start running some graphs, you learn some of the unknown knowns here. You knew the known customer, that's important,
but there may be some unknown relationships that exist between your customer data that you weren't even considering before. So that's how you would potentially activate metadata through the use of these new technologies to inform you to say, aha, maybe there's a relationship here within my customer data that I need to start managing as master data or that I need to apply some unique governance rules to because it's far more relevant than I ever thought it was before. Maybe there's a correlation between data field one and data field two, some meaningful relationship that actually is meaningful from the perspective of driving more sales even. So we'll talk about that some more, but the data fabric is inherently operational. It's not just about great analytics. It's about fueling the enterprise. So that's key capability number two of a data fabric, a heavy use of these technologies to process a lot of data at scale and start automating some of the kind of the data, classic data management decisions that we've always done, but we just did them as humans generally as part of governance programs, as part of the implementation of an integration layer, part of virtualizing some data or building data models or on and on and on. Key capability number three, um, and I keep hinting at this, um, but it is the idea of some form of what I will call an intelligence layer that synthesizes all of these insights and all of this active meta metadata together in some operationalizable, in some implementable way. <laughs> in some meaningful way. In theory, this intelligence layer would also be the place where governance policies are maintained, managed, enforced, and defined, right? Because we're going to get to a world here, folks, in a, in a really, truly data-fabric-driven dri world, we're getting to a place where the humans are going to define some governance rules and the machines are going to start to define some governance rules. And I know that may sound slightly heretical. There are those listening now that would say, what do you mean? Governance rules are only those things that VPs are signing off on. I disagree. Governance rules even go th into things like data definitions. How you define a customer is most certainly, or a product or employee or location or any field or any attribute, how you define it is most certainly a governance decision, even if it is a relatively low level, fairly innocuous one. Still a governance decision. So we're getting to a world where, or we will be in a world where humans are making these decisions, but they are increasingly augmented by the machines and probably ultimately automated by the machines, at least for some aspects of the data fabric. But we're talking about here about some sort of intelligence layer. It combines data governance. It combines MDM, data quality, data integration, even BI and analytics to a certain degree, it combines all of these things, this classic data management capabilities that today exist in all of your data management applications, all the ones that I just mentioned, right? All of those rules that are existing in a data quality tool, that exist in an MDM tool, that exist in even a BI and analytics tool, like the, the, the group buys, the sort buys, all the things that you do to get analytics in front of people, all those rules will be in theory, in the future, subject to the, initially, I would say the scrutiny of active metadata to the scrutiny of this intelligence layer. And in the future, we'll really kind of start to be automated. That's, that's, that's the kind of the dream state of the data fabric in the future. But going back to the example that I gave before, 
things like data quality rules. When is data fit for purpose and when is it not fit for purpose? When is data fueling successful transactions, shall we say, that we know because we looked into the data, the metadata to, to get that insight. Well, in the future that we there will be this layer and I, I'll go ahead and I'll call it a data operating system. Uh, I suspect that phrase has been used before and it will be continued to be used, but really I, I couldn't figure out a better way to kind of say it, but I think there will be some sort of operating system in the future, assuming data fabrics actually reach their fruition. Gartner seems to think they will. I'm not entirely convinced. Um, but in the future, there will be some sort of data operating system that where humans will define the rules at the beginning. And those rules today all largely exist within those data management applications that I was talking about. Data quality, MDM, governance, BI, data science, you name it. All those rules are kind of out there all over the place. Uh, they'll be consolidated into some data operating system that I think today Gartner would loosely call this thing known as the data and analytics governance platform. They, 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 they my name is on it. <laughs> last year in um, 2022, was it 2022 or 2021? All the years are melting together. Isn't that sad? I think it's a 2021 it was the first year they published a market guide for something called the data and analytics governance platform, which was this, and again, my name is on it, uh, which is a kind of slightly ill-defined catch-all for this merging of data management capabilities into a single platform. I think that's kind of where Gartner see things going is this, this merge of all this stuff together. Um, I'm not convinced again. Um, just, just, we know history of, of what happens when you try to, to make a catch all be all single monolithic giant Siebel like solution that does everything for all people and all use cases and all divisions and all departments, those things, we don't have a good history of, of building solutions like this, but, Suffice to say, um, there there is some idea. There needs to be some idea of an intelligence layer in a data fabric. I would argue for that to really be a data fabric. So those are the kind of the three key capabilities: active metadata, heavy use of AI, ML, graph, other automated and other modern technologies to automate the analysis and classification of data and governance of data in the future, and third, some new intelligence layer that really doesn't kind of even exist yet <laughs> and maybe it will i am this this all uh, all props to gardner this is one of their slides that has been distributed widely um about kind of a data fabric architecture i, I don't like it although there's a newer version of this that is even less definitive and even kind of more squishy uh that doesn't really kind of say much <laughs> There's a newer version. This is an older version. I like the older version, although the, the colors, it's like, man, gotta, gotta, gotta get with the design here. But um, what we're looking at here, folks, for anybody who's listening while they're driving, um, is, is a high level architecture of what a data fabric is. And it's really nothing much to write home about. Uh, it's just basically a block diagram, like a kind of like the classic layer cake architecture with layers in the bottom. And then you work up the cake with up, up, you know, layers in the middle and layers in the top. It's kind of the classic, not saying much architecture type diagram. Uh, the only thing that I would take away from this is you've kind of got data sources on the bottom of a diagram. You've got data, metadata, you've got a data catalog 
by the way, guys, this is why data catalogs are, are kind of like the new black. Went to, I think I went to five industry events last year where every single one of them was dominated by data catalog vendors, most of whom I'd never heard of before. So data catalog vendors are, are popping out of the, the woodwork. Uh, they're sprouting up all over the place. And I would think it's largely a function of a lot of focus on data fabric. And then a lot of focus on data mesh, by the way, as well. Separate podcast, we'll, we'll dive into the data mesh. But sitting at the bottom of this is a data catalog because to, to get your hands around all this metadata that is, that is gonna be used to help fuel decisions about all of this automation and data management, and data governance, uh, you got to be cataloging all that data. At the very least, you, you need to know where it is and where it's coming from and, and and on and on. So a foundational component here, one could argue today is at least is some form of a data catalog. And that's fine. You move up, you get into some of the advanced technologies. There's a layer for knowledge graphs and other kind of intelligence enriched with semantics. Um, knowledge graph. Now with semantics. Sounds like a breakfast cereal. Enriched with semantics. Um but a semantic layer plus plus knowledge graph plus data management capabilities plus governance capabilities that's what's not written here right knowledge graph and enriched semantics um doesn't nearly go far enough to describe what is described here in this diagram from gartner as what they call a recommendation engine again drastic oversimplification um, this isn't just a recommendation engine. This, this is, in essence, a very sophisticated and very advanced governance solution. <laughs> Not just governance as well, but an advanced and sophisticated operational layer for the organization. You could easily envision a world where these data fabrics are, are, are telling you know, uh, users of a CRM system what version of a customer record to use, or what you know, or, or are, are making decisions in real time about what customer record to uh, display in a, a CRM or an ERP or anything else. So, so this, these, are, these, these are analytical and operational. And what is on this diagram as a recommendation engine plus number two here, knowledge graph enriched with semantics. These, the combination of four and two on this graph, guys, is really kind of what I was calling this intelligence layer. And then, of course, you get into, you know, the consumers of the data. But but if you really take the time to dive into this, you'll come to the conclusion that I did, which is, wow, this is really conceptual and really theoretical. And how I would go from where I am today to something that looks like this, uh, I don't know how I do it. And I'm with you guys. I'm not entirely sure how you would do it. Um, more information to come. But I think I think this is why there's so much focus on data catalogs because that one you can put your hand around, <laughs> you, you 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 can kind of grasp that one and say, okay, I know metadata is going to be important, and I know I'm going to get to a world where I'll use AI and graph to to analyze all that data, and I will I will use the insights of that active metadata to make some really awesome and well informed decisions about how I both manage data and manage my business. I don't know how I'm going to go from A to B, but I do know that we need to start with the data catalog. And that's why there's so many, many people trying to sell you one if you don't already have one. So what are some key considerations here? Other things to think about. This is kind of uh, the, the what is, what isn't a data fabric. Uh, this is kind of like my slide to help you cut through a lot of the hype that's going on out there right now around data fabrics. Um, one, a data fabric is neither centralized nor decentralized. Uh, the data is going to determine the most effective architectural patterns. So where you need centralization, where you need to have centralized management of rules, 
Uh, I suspect that that will be happening in data hubs like it happens today. MDM, for example. There is an architectural advantage to replicating small subsets of data within a single data hub in order to allow you to steward, manage, transform, even merge that data. Doing that in a spider web type approach is just not efficient. So I suspect MDM and a few other use cases, there will continue to be centralized data management even in a highly evolved form of a data fabric, right? So there's a lot of people out there that are saying, oh, well, data mesh is decentralized and data fabric is centralized. That means that data fabrics are bad. No, no. Data fabric does, is really kind of agnostic to centralization versus decentralization. I think what it would say is that the data will tell us what architectural patterns, whether this should follow a hub pattern or not follow a hub pattern, right? Do we need to even integrate these systems? What's the most effective ETL required uh, in order to integrate these systems together? What's the most effective mapping on and on and on, right? So it's neither centralized nor decentralized. Could be fully centralized, could be fully decentralized. The data is going to inform you and tell you what the best architecture is here. Number two, requires really high levels of data, uh, data governance maturity. The, I, this, this is kind of the metaphor here, guys, is just, just imagine like you've got, um, let's imagine me, <laughs> as a 16-year-old who just got his driver's license, okay? Uh, then imagine somebody handing me the keys to a McLaren. Outcomes probably aren't going to be very good, <laughs> right? That's kind of how I see the data fabric. Even if we were able to kind of wave a magic wand and, and have this highly evolved data fabric, which we're not, but let's imagine if we were, um, if I had that capability and that power today, and I had no idea like what my baseline data governance policies and procedures were, if I had very low levels of maturity around data and analytics governance, the idea that I could go from zero to 2000 miles an hour, just like that, uh, is really kind of ludicrous, right? You need to have a well buttoned up, well-defined, highly effective data governance organization in place for this to work because there's no way you're going to just all of a sudden start turning over stuff to machines. The first thing your users are going to ask is why was this decision made? How are we looking at what we're looking at? This is, this is something we're hearing these days in, in conversations related to AI and ML and making it explainable or defensible or maybe even ethical. Can you, de can you determine or, de or, or say why you're looking at what you're looking at? So the data fabric won't just magically articulate a lot of these rules. These will be, this will be an evolution, right? The data fabric will take what you're doing today and augment that and improve that and accelerate that. But you need to have that baseline first. You won't just be able to skip to this new world, this fancy, fancy, fancy new car without knowing how the car works, what the brakes do, what the accelerators do, and how to turn left or right. You need to have some baseline of a data and analytics governance organization in place. And it needs to be relatively evolved, right? So, so don't think for a second that Data Fabric is just gonna make all of your data governance requirements go away, it will not. And if you do, you're gonna be in for some really, really rough times. Number three, uh, Data Fabric, mostly theoretical. It's mostly theoretical. I called it conceptual earlier, conceptual, theoretical. It exists on paper mostly. 
including the paper you're looking at, the digital paper you're looking at. Uh, again, I mentioned earlier the Gardner touts a five to seven percent adoption. There's no way. I just it, it just maybe a handful of companies are tinkering with this. The largest of the largest of the large are, are tinkering with this um, and looking at kind of data fabric architectures and are saying that they are working to implement one. But that is very very different than realizing a ton of business value from the thing that we've been talking about for the last thirty minutes. So if you go to Gartner and you're coming back and you're like, let's do a data fabric, uh, keep in mind here that I think that even a five-year timeline to any form of maturity is incredibly aggressive. I think you're talking more, more likely 10 before we even get to any sort of prime time on a data fabric. That assumes it doesn't lose speed and just die on the vine, which is entirely possible. We'll talk about that in a little bit in a couple bullet points. Uh, number four, data fabrics can't be purchased. Sorry, vendors. You can't sell anything. You can't sell the data fabric. It doesn't exist. I will challenge anybody who tells me that they have a fully baked, comprehensive, all-inclusive data fabric solution that does all of the three, the, the three key capabilities that I was talking about on the last slide or two slides ago. They don't exist. At best, what you've got is a collection of capabilities that exist across multiple data management solutions that could be, in theory, wired together in a way to enable some data fabric-like capabilities, but the idea that this exists in a single solution is laughable. It's not there, and it's not gonna be there for, I would argue, a number of years. Now, there are vendors, particularly data catalog vendors, who are saying they have this. They're saying, hey, we can sell you a data fabric. Buyer beware. What they're probably selling you is a data catalog with some pretty cool capabilities when it comes to discovery and profiling of metadata. That's an important part of this, but it in no way comes even close to meeting what you will what the, the fully baked version here of a data fabric, which means deeply integrated governance capabilities, both policy management and policy definition and policy enforcement. That doesn't even exist today out there, guys. Like, like the ability to define a rule in one system and have it be enforced in another, MDM can, can do that with, with some subsets of data. Data quality solutions can kind of do that with other subsets of data, but what you're talking about here is across all data, right? across all data management use cases, not just data quality or MDM, but even things like integration. And anybody tells you, that tells you, I've got a data fabric, warning, they don't. They've got probably some, maybe some cool functionality, some cool capabilities when it comes to data cataloging, that foundational layer that I was showing you before, but they don't have a fully baked data fabric solution. It's going to be years before anybody does. Uh, numero five, sunk. Uh, data fabric will start by augmenting. I mentioned this before, augmenting traditional data management tasks but is ultimately designed for higher levels of automation, right? This is that spectrum I was talking about. Today, human-driven with some augmentation, a little bit here and there, smattering of augmentation. Uh, but what we're talking about in the future here is a drastic acceleration, a lot of the autom aug augmentation and automation. <laughs> Sorry, I'm sniffling here, guys. Got some springtime allergies. Pardon me. Having some coffee. Ah. <sighs> love coffee. Number six, 
Data Fabric has yet to find a compelling business rationale. If you disagree, I would love to hear your comments below, but a business rationale is not more sophisticated data management. Sorry, not a business rationale. Let's talk about increased revenue, significantly decreased costs, or decreased business risk, or some combination of the three. Most of the business cases that I'm hearing around data fabrics center on number two, reducing the cost of data management itself. That's not going to be enough here, guys. The, the cost that we're talking about to implement a data fabric, particularly that, in, that, that, uh, that intelligence layer in the middle, uh, those costs are going to be high. You're talking about storage of more data than you've ever stored before. You're talking about compute against massive troves of data in a way that probably only your data science organization has even considered in the past, and that will become widespread. The operational costs here will not be trivial. There will be costs with software. There's going to be costs. There's going to be switching costs with all of your legacy platforms that are probably already bought and paid for and already deeply integrated and working in that highly traditional kind of data pipeline way, right? So the costs here will not be trivial. And I would argue that I have yet to hear a lot of compelling business cases for the use of data fabric. Now, they're there. They're there, but in classic data management kind of world, uh, in our data world, we are so insular and we love to look at, okay, listen, this data management task and it will streamline this integration and it will fix this data quality issue. Can this thing be used to significantly accelerate revenues at an organization? I really think it can. So don't get me wrong, I, I'm, I'm, I'm being a little bit of a skeptic here because that's kind of my nature, but there is, I'm, I'm a believer in the data fabrics, guys. Don't, don't get me wrong. There are massive business cases out there, but I would argue, why are you asking me to rate my experience? Hopefully you didn't see that on the screen. Um, and hopefully this, we're still going. Um, looks like I'm going longer than I thought. That's my cue to, to accelerate because I just got a, hey, are you, ex are you enjoying our, uh, the platform that I'm using to record this? Hopefully we're still, uh, still going. Um, there's a lot, there is a lot of gold in them, their hills. I really, really believe it. I think that data fabrics could be used to drive major operational benefits within organizations. But today I haven't heard it and I haven't heard nearly enough of it. Uh, lastly, data fabrics are both analytical and operational. In our world, we love to look at analytics and think that analytics is, the, is, is our sun, our moon, our, our universe, it's our everything. Uh, but these, these data management architectures are inherently both analytical, driving insights, reports, but also operational. Data fabrics could be used to make your supplier onboarding process better, make your quote to cash process better, make your monthly financial close process faster and easier. So these are these are some of the things that that kind of you need to think about from a data fabric perspective, what they are, what they aren't. I'll stop sharing. Um, nice change. You actually got to look at some graphics instead of looking at me for, for 45 minutes, but that's the data fabric. Let's, let's, let's tie off. Um, a few key things. Data fabrics don't exist yet. Uh, you can't go buy one. There is a ton of promise here, but there is between where we are and where we need to go. There's a ton of concept and theory and really major roadblock issues that we need to overcome, frankly, in a lot of technology that doesn't even exist yet. 
this idea of some sort of kind of data operating system. I, I really like that idea. Um, some form of data operating system that combines semantic layers and knowledge graphs and AI and ML and governance platforms and integration platforms and all these things. It's see you, boy, that's a bit, that's a big lift, but there's, there is really, really golden in their hills. So if you're CIO, CDO, VP of data and analytics, and you're thinking about this thing and it looks intriguing and you've kind of got caught up in the, the shiny object, I don't blame you. Um, what would I do? Well, what I would do is I would take a look at kind of building out a roadmap, acknowledging that we are multiple years away from prime time. I would focus on data governance maturity and making sure that I've kind of got all of that buttoned up, right? Kind of standard blocking and tackling when it comes to data governance. I would be looking at data cataloging capability, right? I would be, if we're, if you're not yet transitioned to the cloud, I don't know how you're going you would ever, ever be able to, uh, to, to manage all these, uh, all this data outside of a cloud environment, right? So you should be thinking about your cloud migration. You should be thinking about your data management application strategy once you get there, right? And your provider, does your provider have the kind of the tools and infrastructures, your provider thinking about these things as well, right? I, again, I would be looking at some sort of data catalog, but, but not for data cataloging sake, right? You need to find that business case. Why build a data catalog? What does it do? And by the way, spoiler alert, the answer isn't, oh, it gives me a single place to go look up different data definitions, or it gives me one-stop shopping for understanding what my data is out there. Those aren't business rationales. Those are data management rationales. The business rationales are, how does it help me make more money or drive down costs of the organization? Right? So think about kind of your strategy around data cataloging, think about building out a business case for data catalogs, think about Data fabric from a five-year horizon, not a one-year, two-year, three-year horizon. That's my advice. There's some goodness here. There's a lot of excitement. I think data fabrics could be transformational. I actually think they would drive more value than a data mesh. Don't tell anybody I told you that. Um, but we're a long way from prime time. All right, that's it. Data fabrics demystified. I'm so glad you could join me here on this 22nd episode of the CDO Matters podcast. Again, I'm Malcolm Hawker. Maybe next time you see me, I'll have new, new backgrounds, new neon lights. Who knows? So glad you could join. Please give some comments down below. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. I usually have guests on, but sometimes I do solo events like this as well. So it's my honor to be giving you this information sharing what I know with you through three years at Gartner and through a almost 30 year career in data and analytics. And I really hope that I will see you on the next episode of CDO Matters sometime soon. Thanks all.